Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going okay. How are you today? How was your week? Uh, my week was was uh, was nice. It was a good week on the whole. Uh, we I went to Six Flags Great America with my sister and brother-in-law because uh, my sister hates roller coasters but had a sneaking suspicion my brother-in-law would enjoy them. So uh, they needed somebody else to help them uh, ride roller coasters so that my brother-in-law was not stuck just like wait, waiting in line for an hour and a half and then just going on a ride by himself and being like, okay, that happened. You know, you got you to gotta have somebody to go well, with. Did he enjoy them? He did enjoy them. Um, we, I did. We broke him with American Eagle, which okay. I don't know if you know about this roller coaster, but it's from, it was built in like 81 and it's okay. incredibly fast. Uh especially for like an older coaster, especially, and also very rickety feeling like you sure, you know, there's times where you, you would bet that you have like bounced off the track while you're going. Oh, so it's kind of like the uh, American scream machine that's in the six flags over Georgia one. Cause that thing's just pure wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's another feels terrible. Big wood ones. Yeah. So, uh, so it was, I mean, I had a lot of fun, uh, on it, mm-hmm. but, uh, I also know what to expect more from these things having grown up around here so uh but yeah it, w- it was fun we, we had a good time um and so that now i'm still very sunburned from that but uh it was it was a fun day so we, we had some activity i know in the tv world people were very excited about the emmy nominations which came out this this uh this week were you following that or not so much no, like I was, I've been really busy at work this week. So while everyone was analyzing, doing snubs and everything, I was like busy editing stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so it wasn't until like I was talking about it a little bit with Corey, and he was just like, "Hey, guess what? The Americans got some stuff." Woo! And I just went, "Well, that's great for a lot of other people, and even for me." When I was even after watching season one, and just went, "I don't understand why these people don't have Emmys yet." <laughs> yeah, and now they have a chance to get some Emmys. They have a chance to not win Emmys. Um, yeah. but probably this is accurate. Yeah. But I'm just excited that they can now say Emmy nominated the Americans You're right. and Matthew Reese and Carrie, uh, Carrie Russell. Cause they're all fantastic. Um, and, and previously they had gotten some, maybe even some awards, but it was always for like guest actor from Margot Martindale, whether she deserved yeah. it or not. Um, shouldn't have gotten it last year though. She's wonderful. Cause she did not have the material, but I'm glad that that this year at least they're in the running. You know, were there any other shows that you know popped out to you that you were happy to see, see get some love, even if they don't necessarily win? I was really surprised, but really pleased that Constance Zimmer got nominated for Unreal, yeah, me supporting too. actress. Yeah. I was really, really happy about that. Um, that was kind of like a that was like the big bolt of the blue, I think, where I just went, oh, so we are going to recognize Unreal just just for this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they snagged anything else. I didn't like do a deep dive into the nominations. But she got nominated, and that's kind of all I was needing for the most part. And I was really pleased with that. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I was really glad to see uh, Master of None get some love. Also, um, the the American Crime people got got some love, which I wasn't necessarily anticipating, um, uh, just given the American Crime story dominating everything. And everybody we wanted to get nominated for that also got nominated for that, so that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, everyone... I'm like kind of trailing through the list right now. I'm just like, all of these people got nominated. 
and I really hope that Courtney B. Vance beats everyone in Outstanding Lead Actor. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Brian Cranston, but I don't really need to watch you do LBJ ever again. <laughs> well, no one does. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the main thing I was struck by, aside from, again, being very pleasantly surprised, that Sonia Soraya had a piece about this over at uh, Variety, that there was a much more diverse field of, of at least acting nominees than we tend to see at, for example, the Oscars for the last few years. Uh, though it wouldn't be hard to to beat them but um anyways I, I was glad to see a more diverse uh, array of just characters represented and, and valued in acting uh the performers and the and the characters as well but also just i was surprised by how many categories like seven nominees yeah a lot of them had multiple nominees and here's the other big thing is i'm kind of going through this ty burrell was the only one who got nominated for acting in from modern family this year yeah which is kind of crazy because they normally get a lot, and it's just, like, him. Yeah. And, of course, Modern Family got nominated for Best Comedy, to which we all went, still? <laughs> Them? Really? Still? Yeah. But, you know, I can't really say that, because I haven't watched it in forever, so maybe it's amazing, and I just haven't been watching, so who knows? I can't I, give I, an I'm honest I'm shaking my head. I can't either, but I'm still shaking my head at the idea that Modern Family... <laughs> yeah. But then again, I also uh, was... Really, them still for House of Cards and also Downton. Yeah. Downton Abbey. I mean, yeah, but ugh. but I haven't watched them, so right. And but I also treat the Downton Abbey thing as broadcast TV's last gasp in drama, because <laughs> this will be the last time probably um, broadcast network gets anything into the big categories in drama, apart from however long um, Viola Davis gets to work on how to get away with murder mm-hmm. <laughs> wants to work on how to get away yeah she'll work there as long as she wants <laughs> yeah but um yeah no th- th- those are the main takeaways for me and uh that and also just looking forward to hopefully whatever they do with with um like the the nominated original songs were were all great and you know lemonade is nominated for a number of things so we might get to see beyonce perform which would be pretty fabulous so who knows what they're going to do with all of these but i i for one would love to see the uh some of the the original songs performed at the show you know as a way to you know keep things uh, moving or, or change things up a little bit. Maybe one fewer montage and we could get, you know, some Crazy Ex-Girlfriend perform live. Yeah? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'm sure the CW would love that. <laughs> they would. Yes, they would indeed. Um, well, that, I guess, wraps up our, our Emmy thoughts here, or at least Emmy nomination thoughts. We'll probably have more to say as we get closer to the Emmys or after the Emmys. But uh, this week, we are not doing a DVD shelf. Instead, it is time for our drumroll Comic-Con preview. Because, um, of course, San Diego Comic-Con is next week, so it starts off next week. So this week, we have uh, Noel and I, uh, our preview. We've looked through the the offerings for tv of different shows that are being screened and uh, premiered as well as uh, tv related panels so that was that was fun that's coming at the end of the show yeah i was very exciting to go through a list of things and go i would go to that if i could sit through stand through and be surrounded by a massive amount of people <laughs> i would go to that if i could teleport into the room the moment the panel was going to start Right. No, that was pretty much how that would go. But you, at least, this is good. This is good pre-gaming for you. So I was glad to help. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but before then, we have a few more shows in our week in TV than we did last week. So we're going to be back to our segments and everything. And we're going to go into that now. So we'll take a break and come back with our week in comedy and reality. 
call your girlfriend I think it's time you talk Give your reasons Say it's not her fault But you just met somebody new Tell her not to get upset Second-guessing everything you said and done And then when she gets upset, tell her that you never meant to hurt no one. You just tell her that the only way her heart can mend is when she learns to love again. And it won't make sense right now, but you're still a friend. And then you let her down easy. Call your girlfriend. It's time you had the that was um, Emma Stone and Maya Rudolph singing Call Your Girlfriend on Maya and Marty, which I did not watch the entire episode of, which so we won't be talking about it in our week in reality. But I thought that was awesome. And it aired on TV, so I was going to include it in the podcast this week. Uh, are you excited for Emma Stone's upcoming musical at all, Noel? She has a musical? Yeah, with Ryan Gosling. This answer, is this La La Land? Yes. Oh, okay. See, I didn't even watch the trailer. I saw some people talking about it, but I didn't know, like, what it was. I've been really busy this week. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, if you want to get me excited for a musical coming out, like a filmed, like, musical, then, you know, having your female lead or just one of your leads singing acapella live is going to be a good way to, you know, and nailing it, by the way, is going to mm-hmm. be a good way to get me excited for it. So the fact that it's just her and Maya Rudolph and some butter tubs and no backing vocals, nothing else to help them. They just got to be in tune, be in rhythm, be together. And they are. So that tells me that Emma Stone's got some pipes. And so that now, along with the beautiful visuals and colors and creativity that's on display in the La La Land trailer, I know that at least one of them can sing. So I'm I'm way more excited for, for La La Land than I was even before. But uh, that's, I'm getting distracted here. This week, in comedy and reality shows, we're actually talking about Difficult People, which heads from your Unplugged and Kessler Epstein Foundation, Andrew Tribeca, Oregon Trail, Wrecked the Phantom, and then, of course, we'll round it out with the great British baking show, Biscuits. But first up is Difficult People on Hulu, which came back for its second season with two episodes, uh, Unplugged and Kess- uh, Kessler Epstein Foundation. Uh, this was fun. I-, I enjoyed the first season, and I liked having these characters back. I mean, they're two... Uh, would be aspiring comedians and also TV recappers. So, I mean, I can't relate to necessarily the comedian thing, but I think we can both relate to the details about the uh, the TV reviewers and recappers. Uh, so, obviously, there's a bit of a wheelhouse in there. Um, but I just enjoy the performances that we get uh, from from the the cast. And um, this th- these two episodes feature more celebrity cameos. I'm wondering if that's going to be a recurring trend through the season. In the first episode, we get Tina Fey. And the second episode, we get Nathan Lane. Um, Tina Fey's thing worked. A- I mean, I guess they they both worked. Um, I liked having Tina Fey in the episode, but she's talking with um, the Andrea Martin character who has no idea who she is. Um, so that was that was a fun way to do that. The Nathan Lane one interacted with the the leads of the show, but um, in a in a smaller role. He just showed up for like two scenes. Um, so there they took a different approach in those two episodes and i thought it pretty much worked i just didn't wouldn't want it to become who's the guest star sure. of the week but this feels sort of like um with amy schumer where after the first 
season or two, people had seen it and then she got a lot more famous people to come beyond because they would like call her up and want to be on the show. Like when Paul Giamatti showed up to play God, you know, things like that. Uh, so, so it's nice to see the creatives getting some attention and certainly the performers as well. So I had fun with these two and I, yes, it's falling into a rhythm of they say something um, like, are we willing to use religion for personal gain? And then they cackle because of course they are. Um, so there, there's a bit of a rhythm of familiarity maybe to some of the approaches and comedic beats, but I still enjoy the characters um, here at the start of season two. So I have fun with them. So for me, it works. Um, and I don't know this. If you Did you watch any season one of Difficult People? No. I watched the first two episodes, I think. Yeah, the first two episodes of season one and then just went, yeah, I'm good. You're good enough for you. Fair enough. Yeah, I was just like, I've never been a huge Eichner fan. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I don't know if I can do a sitcom with him. And um, I just went, yeah, I'm all right. And I, it was telling to me that the most that I was enjoying the show was whenever it was with her, like, husband, living boyfriend, played by Jer- James um, Urbaniak. Urbaniak, who was just killing it for me every scene he was in. But that was where I was getting most of my pleasure was his scenes. So I just went, yep, not not a show I need to watch unless the show just magically becomes about him. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I think Julie Klausner is, is really very good as well as as um, as Julie. But um, the yeah, I, I, Billy Eichner is a strong flavor. So, yeah. you know, absolutely. Um, I also got to mention John Mulaney, who is a love interest for uh, Billy in, in one of the first episodes here. And he's an old timey, which means he's a type of a flavor of hipster who dresses like in Victorian gear and stuff and rides a bicycle with one giant wheel. And then a tiny is one of those. Uh, <laughs> Hasn't he seen Keen Peel? I'm steampunk, motherfucker. <laughs> but that was a fun character and the turn for that at the end of the episode was delightful i had a lot of fun with it so um yeah it might not be for you and fair enough if it's not but uh, if you like season one i think people will like season two um next up is angie tribeca organ trail now this is one i've been excited about since i saw the title yes the pun that is not referenced elsewhere in the episode alas but i still had fun with this episode what did you think i enjoyed it a lot just from the first scene where i just went wait is that is that is that Benton from ER? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. And he's a hair transplant surgeon and not a regular surgeon. Mm-hmm. And then we have, of course, Noah Wiley uh, yes. as well, which was delightful. Yeah. So I enjoyed just those, just the episode for those two like base cameos. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But this episode was also just fun because it pushed um, the triangle forward a little bit and, well, then broke it which was really nice. Um, and I think my favorite gag so far of the season is actually the el- the fake elevator sequence with um, uh, Shoals and the chief. And just the, no, 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 this is the second floor. <laughs> when she's about to get off, I just went, that right there was enough to just sell the joke for me just so hard because it, it's such a little bit of comedic timing in business because when you're in a depressed despondent state you're going to or not just not paying attention you're going to try to get off on the wrong floor and it's just so perfect for like where Scholz's headspace is that I just went perfect just perfect uh what about you what did you think about this uh yeah that was a really great moment and again Jerry Burns just played it 
beautifully. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And yeah, it was just, again, when, when I was like, wait, is that Eric LaSalle? And then when Noah Wiley came up later, I was like, oh, I love you guys for doing this. Um, yeah, I also am glad that they moved the love triangle forward. And I, I just don't care about the, the, the Sergeant Pepper stuff, but they're committed to it. So we'll see what they do. You know, that's all I, that's all we can, I guess, do at this point is just hope that it pays off. I think it's next week that the character shows up in, in person. So I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. But I had fun with it. Um, what about uh, Wrecked and the Phantom? Uh, this was an OK episode uh, for me, um, mostly because I kept being in the headspace of no, it's Billy Zane, you idiots. I know, right? Why can't anyone think of Billy Zane? How hard is it to think of the great American thespian Billy Zane? Have you not seen Zoolander? Right. So yeah. that I, I spent like half the episode just yelling Billy Zane at the TV screen <laughs> as if they could hear me. Um, but I enjoyed the guy. And I still don't know anyone's name on this show, which is not a bad thing, I think. But it's not a great thing either, but I also just don't think it matters. But I enjoyed him talking to the little warthog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the little boar the entire episode. The baby boar. Yeah, because the little baby boar is so cute. <laughs> but yeah, the rest of the episode was fine. Uh, I appreciated some of the developing power struggles about their priorities and everything. But again, I just kept shouting Billy Zane at the screen. <laughs> Uh, what about you? Because based on your reaction, you were shouting Billy Zane as well. Oh, of course. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I thought they did a good job with that. Like, the people that they were naming were right. interesting. You know, they like, got so close with Billy Crudup. So, so close. So close. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was a fun little... And I like that they didn't pay it off. At right. Either. They just left yeah. it hanging, um, yeah. which was good. Uh, the, the lead, the, the flight attendant that is the lead character is a little distractingly styled to look like short hair uh, Matthew Fox at this point for me. Uh, so I, I didn't even think about that until now, and now I can't unsee it. Yeah, so, thank you. so you're yeah. welcome. I've broken yeah. the glass on that, and now you're <laughs> stuck with it. Uh, so that, like, you just, the, the mannerisms in the performance there is... Um, like just a tilted to the side kind yeah. of Jack in a way that I'm enjoying, though it also then doesn't necessarily subvert the, that trope as much as or that character as much as it seemed like the early episodes were going to so we'll see how, sort of how that plays out but I would agree this one wasn't quite as entertaining or as laugh out loud funny yeah. as uh, the previous episodes uh, certainly the one with the the bathroom in the middle of the woods um, but but I'm still having fun with Wrecked so fair enough it's, it's sort of a middling installment for me um, what about uh, Great British Baking Show Kate the show is so stressful yeah it's so stressful. Like, it was stressful, like, when I was marathoning it off Netflix, but now having to, like, wait a week between episodes, I'm just, like, stewing over what will befall them, what ridiculous thing Paul or Mary will have them make for the technical, and everyone go, what the hell is this? How do you even pronounce this? <laughs> and, but then it just looks delicious, and I want to eat all of it, because they did biscuits this week, and yeah. biscuits are cookies, and gosh... All the cookies look so good. Um, how, how you've you've already seen the season? You know how it plays out, and so you've already seen like this episode and every you had seen this episode before it like aired on the PBS and well before I did. So like, did you watch it again? Yeah. Okay. So like, tell me about watching it for the second time. Um, are you like picking up on things in the editing? No, having like foregone conclusion type of knowledge or having the foreknowledge, or are you just like 
picking up on different details. Honestly, it's been long enough since I since it first aired that mm-hmm. I don't remember the specifics. Okay. Uh, so I like I remember the rough order of like, you know, like I'll be like, "Oh, I know they lasted pretty long and they like I remember this one thing that they did that was funny and that hasn't happened yet, so they can't be gone yet." You know, like that, that kind of stuff, but I, you know, yeah. obviously I remember who won. Right. But um but yeah, I don't necessarily remember of the group that is eliminated in the earlier part of the season. I don't remember the order necessarily that they go um Mm -hmm. so that leaves you know me with a bit uh a bit of suspense still watching it like oh yeah that's right they did that kind of cookie that's cool it's like oh yeah the checkerboards that's neat and i that would be one that i would try if i had more time that kind (laughs) of a thing you know um and there's certainly um next week they're gonna at least in what in in chicago wttw is going to be airing two episodes back to back Okay. Week moving forward. So next week there's bread and another one, <laughs> but the bread one features a totally badass bread thing that I can't wait for you to see. It was just like jaw on ground. Super impressive. Um, but yeah, so, th- so there's a few things like that that I remember, but on the whole, I'm enjoying like watching it with, with you too. So like, what was the most stressful part of this for you? Uh, well, I mean, it's almost always like, just them trying to figure so the technical challenge is always really stressful because they don't know what they're doing yeah and i get really anxious when they don't know what they're doing and anytime people are staring at ovens trying to decide the best time to take something out is always really stressful uh, i talked a little bit about this last week just the sheer existential angst of that yeah. but at the same time just it was also re- the other thing that was really stressful this week was the biscotti stuff so a, I was worried that they weren't baked enough, or they had overbaked them. Yeah. But then I kept worrying about Mary's teeth <laughs> <laughs> because they're playing up the crunch of the micro. They're playing up the crunch in this in the sound edit so yeah. much that I'm really worried that people are going to chip teeth on them. Uh, so I was worried about that. But then, like when Sue broke that box, yeah, right. <laughs> And I was just like, no, Sue, you broke you broke the box. You've made like eight innuendo jokes about boxes and you broke the box. <laughs> yeah. But then she swoops in and like comes like is just like, no, that's that's I did that. It's not her. I did that. And it's yeah. just like and then they don't they don't they don't like dwell on it or anything. They don't it's mention just it like, again. They don't mention it again. And I just love this show where like criticisms received really positively when you lose it's it's like a but you did your best and that's all that we can expect from you type of thing and it's just like the show's so positive yeah (laughs) and it feels so nice when people like when um like people win after having like a really bad week the week before or a bad challenge the week like even within the same weekend it's just like it feels really good and rewarding and i just i really like this show yeah it's wonderful <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah yeah the uh and it's we'll go in, into it a bit more next week um or at least i will have more to say next week uh but yeah the 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 philosophy of the show matches very strongly with my personal philosophy um, and it's a very humanist show. And so it's something yeah. that I connect with tremendously. And especially right now when the pessimism wins on TV, when all of the shows that are generally considered, generally considered um, the best and the most well-made and like the prestige quality TV are all 
pessimistic, nihilistic shows about isolation. This just speaks to me in a really profound way. So, And on that note, let's transition to talking about Mr. Robot. So (laughs) before we can talk about Mr. Robot, uh, first, Noel, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Uh, Still, I think I get, did I give it to Great British Breaking Show last week? I think I I did. So so I'm going to give it again because the show just makes me really happy, Kate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It just, and plus it makes me so hungry. Mm-hmm. makes me so hungry for whatever they're baking so i'm like dreading the bread i'm dreading bread next week because i love bread i love it i love it <laughs> um so i'm i'm dreading bread next week because then i will just eat all the bread all of the bread <laughs> uh what about you what when you're weak in uh reality and comedy um i guess i'll change it up a little bit and um oh, man that's tough uh... I just, I gotta give it to Auntie Tribeca, even, you know, like, I want <laughs> Just to for the title, to, right? But just for Oregon Trail. No, just because it was so fun, and, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed this this season of Auntie Tribeca, even if we have had it so slowly meted out compared to season one. But, um, yeah, I just, those ER shout-outs and everything, um, and just to keep things a little more interesting so it's not just all bake-off all the time. So, um, yeah, I'll give it to Auntie Tribeca. Um, now we'll take a break and uh, come back with our week in genre and drama. In genre and drama, uh, we are going to get to Mr. Robot, Noel. But first, I'm going to have you preview Stranger Things, which is the new Netflix show with Winona Ryder uh, that uh, dropped, I think, I want to say today as we record, or is yeah, it next week? It dro- no, it dropped today. Um, so you've seen the season. I've seen all of it, yeah. <laughs> so you'll have thoughts on that. Then we'll go to Mr. Robot, uh, uh, the first two episodes, and the people familiar with the show will know that the titles of the episodes are challenging. So I'm just going to say Unmask and uh, part one and part two, which is not really the title, but kind of the title. So I'm just going with that. Then then I'll have a few thoughts on the A word episode one um, and the Outlander finale, Dragonfly and Amber, before we round things out with Unreal Casualty. So Stranger Things. Yes. Oh, what were you what were you thinking about this show? Had you heard about it before like this week? Were you excited for it or was this a surprise? Uh, I had seen, like, it had popped up after, for some reason, it popped up after I had finished watching uh, Voltron on Netflix. It was just like, maybe you'll like this Netflix original forthcoming series. Watch the trailer. And I just went, Mm -hmm. well, okay, first of all, these two things are not like the others. (laughs) And I initially thought it was an adaptation of a Stephen King um, novel, which has a similar title. And I just went, Okay, I guess. And then, like, I re- did, like, a little bit of research, just a little bit, and went, oh, okay, so it's just, it's not, it's not an adaptation, it's an original thing. That's cool. That's fine. And then I just kind of forgot about it. 
and then I started seeing like some of the early reviews started dropping earlier this week, and they were all just like really really positive. So I just went, oh well, I can watch this on the press site. So I'm gonna do that, and it's really really good, Kate. It's really really good. Um, basically, how I've been like t- talking to people who haven't watched it yet is. If you like 1980s supernatural horror that's in kind of a Spielbergian King sort of vein, I know that those two things seem kind of opposed, but they actually kind of aren't at the same time. Like King's or some of King's stuff is very easily switched into a kind of a Spielberg type of mode if you just tweak it a little bit. And plus, you have to remember that Spielberg executive produced the Poltergeist and had a fair mm-hmm. amount of like input on that to a certain degree. So if you like that kind of stuff. But you're not necessarily keen on, like, reveling in the 1980s aesthetic and motifs of that, um, those kind of films. So I'm thinking very much here, like, Super 8, which is um, a movie I I didn't really like because it was just so all-encompassing. Look how much I loved these 80s movies that I grew up watching. Um, This is very much... There are a number of, like, references and everything and callbacks and shout-outs to the 1980 films that this television show is very much inspired by. But it doesn't revel in it. Instead, it tells a very interesting and very compelling story that feels very much like is a 1980s horror film. Uh, So, basically, the extent of what I'll tell you happens is that a young boy vanishes into thin air after some weird stuff happens at a Department of Energy lab. So you have to remember, 1980s, big government, Department of Energy's kind of new still. And so all sorts of shady, mysterious things are going on, maybe in this small Indiana town. And things just steadily start to unravel over the course of, I want to say, like a week. And it's just really, really good, Kate. Like, Winona Ryder's terrific as the mother of the boy who vanishes... Uh, first couple episodes, her performance is a little repetitive, but that's mostly because the writing doesn't give her anything new to do from the, between those episodes, but steadily, steady escalation, she finds some new things, and she's really, really great. Uh, David Harbour plays the, uh, chief of police, and he's fantastic. Um, he's a character actor that once you see him, you go, oh, that guy! And he's really, really great in this. Um, And then Matthew Modine, to finish, round out the 1980s-ness of it all, plays the guy who's heading up the uh, Department of Energy Lab. And then there's just all the kids who are just, like, directly out of central casting for, like, a Freaks and Geeks remake or from a 1980s horror film. And they're all fantastic. They're all really, really smart actors. They're doing really interesting things. And I just really loved how this show captured the spirit and sensibilities of these 1980s films while still feeling very much like its own thing. And I think that's the key thing with a lot of these kind of homage type of things is that it feels very rooted in its own reality while still being a part of the traditions that it's informed by. Uh, So it's only eight hours, which is the other great thing about it, is that that Netflix sag that sometimes settles in for those 13 episode shows, there isn't that. It's a very good, solid eight hours. Like, it's tight. It doesn't feel like it sags anywhere, really. And 
you just wonder why more shows aren't eight episodes, which is a ridiculous thing to say because, like, five years ago, we were just like, why aren't more shows 13 episodes? And now we're just like, (laughs) why aren't more shows eight episodes? Uh, But it's a really good, consistent eight hours. Um, Episodes range between, like, 45 to 55 minutes. So even with the extra 10 minutes or so, nothing feels particularly padded or anything. So I would encourage you, especially if you're, like, a big fan of the, the traditions that this show's drawing on, Check it out. Uh, plenty of 80 synth beats and the soundtrack, which is all I needed. I don't know about you, but that's all I needed. Uh, there's some Dungeons and Dragons playing. Uh, always a good thing. Always a good thing. Uh, and then there's just all the callouts. There's plenty of ET. There's plenty of Poltergeist. I mean, it's all there. Uh, all of it's like right there in in there. So my recommendation is to get some friends, get some popcorn, turn off lights, and just watch it all night. There you go. So I feel like that should be my Monday night pre-Comic-Con. Once I get everything all packed, I'm waiting to get it. Like, because Tuesday morning I go to the airport. Yeah. So I feel like that should be once everything's all settled and it's like, you know, way too late and I should be going to sleep. Maybe that's the right time to watch the first episode. I think that's a perfect time to watch the first episode. There we go. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm excited. Very excited. Good. Um, Well, I'm also excited about a show that I know you're less excited about because it's not really your thing, but you watched it anyways. I did, and and I'll continue to watch it. Okay, so what, like, again, we've talked about this previously. Mr. Robot's not really your thing. How did you feel about parts one and two of this this premiere, this two-part premiere that we had? Well, I mean, here's the thing is, like, it's still very much the show it was in season one. Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of just tone and approach and sensibilities. Um, So I'm still very much of, gosh, I get it. You've seen a lot of movies and you're referencing Taxi Driver. I get it. It's very clever. Kudos to you, sir, type of thing. But at the same time, I really appreciated this two-parter structure overall. I liked the vignettes that we got of this is Elliot's life one month after the hack this is his sister's life one month after the hack. This is his former best friend's life one month after the hack. And I, I liked that approach of telling us where these folks are without too much cutting back to where Elliot was. So I enjoyed like how these two episodes were structured, even though that was had to be like the shortest intermission in history. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still just not globbing onto the show in a way that I feel like everyone else is still. I'm very much like the narration for me is still not totally working because I'm, is he talking to us still? Because if he is, why is he just talking to his journal? Has he been having this journal the entire time? Like I want to know when we're catching up to him feeling like he's trusting the person he's talking to. Um, I'm also still half convinced like Terrell's in his head. Mm-hmm. And which is a weird thing that I'm sure doesn't make any narrative sense, but I'm not <laughs> totally convinced that it's not true either, which is the other larger thing that I'm not, in t- I can't trust Elliot as a narrator, which means I can't trust the show on a lot of levels. And I'm not entirely sure how I still feel about that. Um, My last thing I'll say before I turn this over to you, because I don't want to monopolize like bitching about the show um, is one of the things I did really like about season one was that Christian Slater got to do something very different for Christian Slater is that he got to do this really supportive paternal type of character that he normally doesn't get to play. And I really enjoyed that. And I liked the slow unraveling of that. 
at the same time, it was really frustrating to watch it in season one because I was just like, he's inside his head. It's another personality. That's I know this. I understand this. I'm just waiting for the show to catch up to this. So this season, at least based on the first two episodes, it's very much, oh, Christian Slater's just going to play crazy Christian Slater. I've seen this already, and it's still not that super interesting anymore. And I'm struggling with how they can make that really compelling, just from someone who's seen Christian Slater do this a whole lot. And I like when they allow him to be quiet more now than when he's, like, ranting and raving. So, like, his scene where he's threatening again to shoot Elliot and Elliot just starts laughing at him. And then he just, like, his face just falls and all the composure's lost. It's just like, that's what I want. That's what I responded to. But the rest of, like, the monologuing with the apple and all this stuff, I'm just like, it's all just just theater to me in really flashy, unnecessary ways. And I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm over it. But I've I've complained enough. (laughs) How did this, as someone who was much more in the tank for the show feel about the premiere how did you feel about craig robinson showing up as a series regular uh and also how much did you love mamie gummer showing up because <laughs> i loved it and then i was really upset that she only had a scene in like a fourth of another scene <laughs> yeah well i'm actually going to start off with that same scene you reference with christian slater because that was absolutely the, the highlight scene for me yeah the performances there was much were much more interesting um and very strong and just uh, Remy Malik is not allowed to smile. Oh God, no, he he's that not. That was terrifying. Yeah. It's, oh my it's God. Bad. It's so bad. <laughs> like the big wide grin, like oh yeah. my God, it was a very effectively very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree that the the quiet um, or uh, less um, certain yes. Christian Slater character or Mister Robot, I Mr. guess Mister Robot, yeah is is a much more interesting Mr. Robot. So um yeah, I like that as well. The the stuff we got with Craig Robinson, I mean, I'm glad he's on the show. I always enjoy him and seeing him Do you in, do you do we need to go back and watch Mr. Robinson? I still enjoyed him in a bad show. That's the thing. Like that was a not good show, but I he's still charming and charismatic, so I still had fun with him. And uh, it wasn't enough to get me to watch the show, but I still enjoyed his performance. Um, so seeing his energy in this kind of a show, and I mean, I I have faith that the you know the creator and in this season writer director of director of all the episodes this season, um, Sam Asmail will be doing something very distinct with him. Sure, has brought him in to take advantage of his persona and personality and uh and like the 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 tone and the character and flavor kind of he brings to to his scenes um so i'm looking forward to what is coming with him uh maybe gummer is just love no or grace grace is it grace gummer oh okay yeah wow they look way too much alike they look very alike i'm pretty sure this is grace gummer I i feel like it's the second gummer not the littlest gummer but the second gummer um uh but I really enjoyed her scene with the coffee. That was a nice, you know, way to to start things off and a very instant charismatic way to introduce that character. Obviously, put her next to a jerk in line and we're going to immediately be on her side. It's not the most creative thing ever, but they, you know, they do it well. Um, It is great. I apologize. (laughs) I also like uh, Sandrine Holt. Um, I enjoyed her and some other things, so I liked her popping up here. Uh, I don't remember if she was in season one. I want to say no, but I could be wrong. She's the attorney, right? The one with the smart house? Yeah, no, she's fantastic. I was really excited when she showed up. I didn't know her name, but like you, I've seen her in a ton of stuff, and yeah, she's great. Yeah. 
So the the just the cast additions they've been making, um, very uh, very, you know, good good choices as far as I'm concerned. Uh, very bummed that Gabriel is apparently dead. I did not necessarily expect him to pop up here, but having you know, then I was glad when he did, and then I was very un not happy when he got killed. Um, in Gideon. the barn. Gideon. Oh, I said Gabriel. I'm sorry. Gideon. Yeah. Yes, Gideon. Okay. Um, when Gideon pops up, I was surprised, but then excited. And um, yeah, I'm going to miss him because I've enjoyed that character. Yeah, I, I was frustrated by the way that they just wrote themselves out of that corner with that. Mm-hmm. I just went, oh, so that's how you're going to keep make sure that no one's coming after Elliot super quickly is you're just going to kill this guy off. And I just went... All right, show. That's that's. I think it depends on whether they use this as a get out of jail free card or if they use it to complicate the situation. Yeah. So, if they if they now add this raises the stakes in a very significant way, as far as I'm concerned, because Elliot sent this guy away and this guy got killed, and so he's responsible for this guy's death, um, as far as I'm concerned. So, when that comes down to Elliot and on Elliot, like it should like it hopefully will, then that um, should be all the more powerful, all the more meaningful, and have all the more impact on Elliot. Now, if it doesn't, then I agree. It's lazy story writing. It's just like a convenient way to get out of a a tight corner and a not very satisfying one. Um, But I guess maybe I just have more more faith in this show. Yeah, and I'm just being my pessimistic, judgy self. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Yeah, but in general... Uh, enjoyed the premiere. I thought it was very effective. I was glad that we the the that they immediately addressed Tyrell Wellick, um, at least with Elliot and Mr. Robot. Um, I liked the way that they stretched it out to the end of the episode. I like like that his wife Joanna. I want to say is looks like she'll be a more prominent figure in this upcoming season, which is a smart move. Yes, as far as I'm concerned, very smart move. Yeah, and I also like that uh, her name escapes me. Uh, the blonde best friend. Uh, is do, having more interesting things happen with her as well, that she's kind of going over to the dark side a bit. Um, but I, I, I really appreciated that performance in season one, um, and so I'm hoping that she'll get a lot of really interesting things to play in season two here. So um, we'll see where things go. But obviously, it's not surprising I'm more on board since I was with season one right. uh, than you are. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun two-parter for me. So just before we move on, because of how we wrapped up the previous segment, what in Robot, I guess, do are you responding to, despite what you said about the pessimism and everything? Because I think Robot's a fairly pessimistic show. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that scene alone with... Um, his name is not Truxton Spangler, but it is Truxton Spangler. It is Truxton Spangler, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> and DC is very, just painfully cynical. Yeah. And so, like, what is it about this show's depiction of this heightened version of reality, I guess, mm-hmm. that you're tapping into that you're not tired of, I guess? I mean, is it characters? Is it the acting? Because I'm just, I'm just curious. It's not like a judgmental yeah. question, but more so yeah. just like, what are you, what is it that you're responding to that you're not responding to in other shows that have similar interests, I guess. Um, I think it does a few things that really help um, help me along. First of all, uh, it doesn't match my worldview at all, but it's very well made and it has an interesting and distinct point of view. I will appreciate yeah. a show with a distinct point of view. 
almost always over one that is nebulous or not not examined um the the cinematography and the framing is interesting it always keeps me involved it gets me thinking about television in a different way than i often do which is just to take the visuals for granted so i appreciate that but the real reason that it's just like any other show i care about or i'm invested in and interested in the characters and so it does come back to those performances and back to those characters and uh for me the you know elliot is an interesting figure and i I think that this premiere also takes a couple steps that I really appreciated um, to to counteract my largest complaint with the first season, which was just how juvenile the, a lot of his um, philosophy was, which is they have the person at the bank saying, talking about how she had been frugal for 20 years to pay off her house. And so like this idea that they didn't help her they're screwing her over. What they did actually is hurting her because she was very responsible. And so now she can't prove that she did had done this for 20 years. So there's a lot of people that they aren't helping. And then they had, um, they had this, uh, again, I can't remember the character's name, unfortunately, but, uh, Chaken, um, her character say, we made things worse for a lot of people. Um, and I think having that awareness, um, of just how facile and, uh, unexamined, the central philosophy of Mr. Robot was in the first season, like really just stating that bald facedly in the premiere has me a lot more. Uh, it really helps to temper my frustration with, yeah, man, we're just going to get rid of all debt, man. And that's going to solve the world's problem. Everybody will be free. It's like just a very simplistic, unexamined and not interesting. So I think this is a more like, I, this to me means that the creator is aware that this is a not very examined, not very thoughtful idea and one that plenty of people have said before. Yeah. You know, so so that really is helping. But again, it just comes down to characters and performances um, as my number one reason that I'm still tuning in. So, you know, and then like we get like music cues, like the one that led into this segment, which uh, I really like the uh, the daydreaming with Lupe Fiasco and Jill Scott. And, uh, you know, they had Figaro in there for me, which, of course, I appreciated. Um, but uh, yeah, so just the aesthetics of it certainly helped. But I don't know. That was a long and rambling reason. No, 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 no. It made perfect sense to me. I like your point that you brought up about the show complicating its presentation of its ideology in the from the previous season because that it's actually really significant. And one of the things that frustrated me about season one was indeed this very facile representation of an ideology that just felt very sophomoric. Which was one of my big problems with the show overall is that it was presenting the sophomoric approach to dealing with inequity um, and basically embrace really valorizing it in a really really terrible way. Uh, Which reminded me even more so of the Fight Club comparison beyond the disassociative state issue was just... Here's a really here's a really bland ideological idea that seems really cool and we're going to run with it. And I just went, "Well, no, it's it's a, the whole situation's a lot more nuanced than that." <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of the things that I just I liked about this premiere, but then I also just kept thinking about how when we have this woman who talks about saving for 20 years representing her house and everything, it just kind of clicked in my head that I mean, she's that this what they did and everything would have affected people like her but it would have also massively affected people who 
may not necessarily be able to go to a bank and yell at someone. Yeah. And just the kind of things basically reminded me of a lot of the critiques of, like, the Sanders campaign and their refusal to basically engage with how race and economic inequity are heavily intermingled, heavily intertwined, I should say, within American society. And that was one thing that I was still kind of missing within both from last season, but also with this season, is that there's very much just a, if we solve the economic issue, it all gets better. And I think that maybe, hopefully, they'll they'll address that going forward this season. But it just kind of struck me while I was wa- washing dishes after watching watching the premiere, I just went... Yeah, well, how does Leon feel about any of this? And how does Kirk Robinson's character feel about any of this? I mean, Leon just discovered Seinfeld, so he may not care for the moment because he has eight seasons of show to work through. That montage was fabulous, by the way. It was. It was really good. And let's give a quick shout out to friend of the show, Jennifer K. Armstrong's book Seinfeldia, which is uh, out recently on bookshelves and just became a New York Times bestseller uh, all about Seinfeld. Of course, she came on the podcast to talk about Seinfeld a while back. Go to the television.org to check out that segment. But uh, yeah, I was certainly thinking of of that uh, when when that scene happened. It was delightful. It was. It was a very good scene. So yeah, all that to say, I'm just I... I may reach a point where I'm able to appreciate Mr. Robot in the same way that I can kind of appreciate what the Americans is doing. If it matures, basically, is what I'm looking for to really do in season two. I'm not really expecting to like the show at any point, but I do want it to mature. And there are signs that it is doing that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a very fair critique and certainly one that I lobbied against or that lobbed to yeah. towards the uh, the show in its first season. Um, yeah. Uh, well, we'll see what happens with it. Yeah. Hopefully it'll do that in this season. Um, next up is The A Word, which is a UK show that's airing on Sundance here. The first episode aired this week. And of course, The A Word in question is autism or uh, autistic. It follows a family where there's a young child who is five. It's his fifth birthday in the first episode and um, he is on the spectrum and they, that it's the matter of um, determining that over the course of the pilot um, but also establishing some interpersonal dynamics with the um, the parents and then the grandfather and then the aunt and uncle and you know adding to that being in a smaller town and how the other kids are reacting to their kid and um, I yeah I, th- I, th- I was really um, I was really impressed by this first episode. Um, the the first scene you see the kid and he's wearing these really distinctive headphones like noise canceling headphones and singing along to music and as someone who has you know autistic uh, family members you know in my just barely outside of nuclear family it was just immediate I just immediately recognized that imagery and it felt right and it felt respectful and aware and um from coming from people who know what they're talking about. So um, I, I thought that at least in this first episode, it was very well handled um, d- dealing with, uh, you know, there's so, so some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect from the characters, but it all kind of worked together. And I hope that it can be a really satisfying and, um, and well done six episodes. Cause it's only, it's only six episodes. It's all aired over in the UK already. Uh, Christopher Eccleston plays the grandfather. And I really liked what we got with him in this first episode. The other cast members I was less familiar with, um, but they, they did a good job too. And, and this just sort of reminds me, I can't, I haven't thought of, I can't think of a character on television that is on the autism spectrum distinctly. And that's, you know, part of their identity. 
since parenthood and before that alphas um and um i mean people you could argue whether or not somebody like um you know like some of the characters on big bang theory are but like they really dance around labels they don't want to you know interact with that in a meaningful way at least based on my knowledge of big bang theory that's not something they're interested in doing so i appreciate this show existing and um looking at a complicated uh, or what can be a complicated issue in child development so uh, i really liked this first episode and hopefully the rest will be just as just as entertaining and and thoughtful and affecting so i don't are you any interest in this one um, even if I did have any interest, uh, I'd have to pay to watch it, uh, since ah. my cable package does not include Sundance. Um, so I'd have to pay my two bucks to someone, yeah. I'm assuming, per episode. And I'm just like, mm, uh, no, unless it was, enough. like, really, really compelling and interesting, I would be there for it. But... There's a lot of TV. There's a lot of TV, and, I mean, I still still only have so much money. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, no, you, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. Um, Outlander is the next show, and they had their season two finale, Dragonfly and Amber. This was, I thought, a really fantastic episode of the show. They jump forward in time, um, past because I was expecting them to, to jump forward in time to where the season to premiere was set but they just like blast past then go to the 60s and it's awesome and fabulous and we meet claire and we meet uh, in the 60s and her daughter and um they're setting up what's going to be the next season which is going to be the next book um i know a bit of that but i will not say it in case people don't want to be spoiled at all um but they they set up some really interesting um developments that i look forward to seeing if they follow through on uh including is Claire from the 60s gonna travel back to the past because then she would be a woman in her like 50s ish who's going back in time as compared to you know because it's 20 years later as compared to a woman in her like I think she's supposed to be late 20s early 30s I don't really know because the actress is older than the character um and she's supposed to be very old to be getting married but you know that's back then in like you know the Scottish Highlands so like 18 was old to be getting married um, back then. So I don't really, I'm not, I'm, they fudged the the age on that stuff um, pretty effectively. So I don't know how old she's supposed to be in the 60s, but she's got a gray streak. So significantly older, uh, though still looking fabulous, of course. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm looking forward to what next season could bring. Um, I'm trying to dance around certain things. I thought that the, the way they paid off Culloden, uh was very effective because they added much more personal, immediate sacrifice and stakes to that um i thought that was really that was a that was a gut uh that was a blow to the gut that was a gut punch um but again very well handled and executed uh this stuff with uh galus uh, or jillian in in the future was was neat i appreciated seeing that actress again um actor i should say and really pretty uh you know enjoyed her scenes um and the brianna character I'm having some trouble with, but I think that's a combo. I don't know how much of it is the actor and how much is the accent and how much, you know, is just what the character has to do when she's told, yeah, your father isn't your father, but that's because you were conceived in the 1600s. I mean, how is she supposed to react when her mom tells her that? Um, so it's, um, 
yeah, I thought that was a really affecting finale. The stuff we got with Jamie and Claire was fantastic. Um, I wish they had really confirmed that Blackjack is dead, but they haven't. They kind of glazed over that. He was supposed to have died um, between a couple episodes, timeline-wise, and they don't confirm that, so ellipses. Um, Blackjack lives, I guess. Well, Tobias, because Tobias Menzies is fantastic, but that character needs to never be back ever again. Like, like we're talking, like, it's between Joffrey and um, Ramsay Bolton, uh, Sir, Sir Flay's a lot, uh, but... It was just boring by the end uh, because he was just there to be evil um, and just like you could just immediately disconnect as soon as he was on. It's like, oh, look, is he going to feed a baby to some dogs? Yeah, of course he is. You would just disconnect when you saw him. And Joffrey, like, because Blackjack is actually worse than Joffrey. Congratulations, way worse than Joffrey. Um, But I just don't, I don't, he needs to die. If he's ever on, he needs to the show again. It needs to be so they can kill him. Tobias Menzies is great, but they skipped past the part where he could be in the show because he his future character is alive. So then that means the only way we can see him is if his past character is alive and his past character is not allowed to be alive. No, he's not. I can't take it. My constitution as a TV viewer, I can't take it. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But otherwise, I thought it was, you know... I'm, not, I'm very excited about next season, and I thought it was just very sweeping, romantic, like the show always uh, does at its best. Uh, beautiful visuals, really compelling uh, performances, and um, it was just really fun to just drop down in the 60s with them. So we'll see what happens next. Um, so that's Outlander. Next up is our final show of the week, which is Unreal and Casualty. We were both... Um, a little questioning where the season was going. Did this confirm or belay those fears for you, Noel? Mostly pretty much confirmed them. Um, I really struggled with a lot of this episode. Um, I thought certain parts of it were really well done. And we should note right off the top that um, Sherry Appleby directed this episode and did a really, really good job with the direction of the episode. Um, there were a lot of really nicely done wide shots. The shaky cam stuff immediately afterwards um, with the assault was really nicely done and nicely inserted to give us Rachel's state of mind. Uh, and just those wide shots that I just previously mentioned really emphasize like Rachel's isolation and vulnerability. There was a lot of really good directorial choices that were made that helped get through some larger writer issues that other i think in someone who i think basically if the woman playing rachel hadn't been directing this episode regardless of who the actor was i feel like it wouldn't have worked as well as it does just from it helps to get through the script's deficiencies basically mm-hmm. really really knowing that character right and th- i think that that's what makes the difference here um but it still can't make up for other aspects of the show, which is the fact that Everlasting still doesn't make any sense this season. Yeah. And the fact that we're going to have the hometown date, and it's basically just like, yeah, but all we know about this character is that she wore a Confederate flag bikini. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all we know about her. That's we all. don't know any other things about her at all. And then she's just like, I wanted Darius to be the father of my unborn baby that I had with my guy, boy, boyfriend who lives down the street, two houses over. And I just went, where the hell is any of this coming from? Mm -hmm. 
Well, though, Darius also, in the show's defense, he's yeah. like, I love how he's like, wait, you love me? Pump the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was the right response, but that doesn't, you know, really... That only barely wallpapers over the issues with the show. Yeah. yeah, and so it's just like, so when the other contestants have their time in the mirror with uh, <laughs> with the little, like, therapist corner, it's just like, first of all, hey, one of these ladies is a cop, and I'm pretty sure I didn't know that. <laughs> and I don't know her name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And it's just like, show, I don't I don't know who any of these women are, so I'm not invested in the outcome of the show, which is a very weird place to be because the outcome of the show provided a lot of tension for last season. Mm-hmm. And it's the show just feels very much like an afterthought. I mean, you've been saying just how weird and wacky just the reality of Everlasting as a product is so far this season and now it's just getting kind of ridiculous because I'm not even sure whose version of the show's going out anymore. Yeah. And I don't think that Unreal as a show cares either, which is a problem. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I I'm I'm kind of lost in the weeds of them wanting to talk about a bunch of stuff like assault and as specifically a female assault. And then the response to that from Quinn is really interesting and supportive-ish in Quinn's mm-hmm. own way. <laughs> but she also calls in Adam, <laughs> which yeah. seems like a really terrible idea. Um, so I don't, I don't know how I'm feeling about anything, and they only have four episodes in the season left. And I'm not feeling great about what they can do in four episodes to steer anything into the dock, as it were. And this episode just doesn't reassure me of any of that. Uh, What about you? Did this make you feel any better about the show? Or were you maybe a little bit better than I am? Like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Um, Yeah, it, 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 it didn't do... It didn't really make things worse, but it didn't make things better for yeah. me. I like that they did, though we didn't know anything about Beth Ann before this episode and why she should have the the home visit. Um, at least when they went on the home visit, they did give her some stuff. Yeah. Um, which So at least there's that. Um, but then they also, you know, if you're paying attention, there's a Confederate flag out on the porch at that dinner scene, it's kind of like it's ratty and like kind of like balled up because it's been hanging there for, you know, decades probably, but they never mention it. And then there's that giant Confederate flag on the barn and they also don't mention that. And so you have to buy Darius sitting down there for dinner and having a grand old time with all his family and never once commenting on the Confederate flags surrounding him. And I do not believe that. And not only that, but remember that Rachel calls it out as being the worst, ex- like the quintessential example of a post-racial America. She actually says the phrase post-racial America. Yeah. And it's just like, but, but, but. The but there's things. a Confederate flag right there in the frame of your post-racial America. So if you're not making something happen with that, you're a bad producer. And we know that she's not supposed to be a bad producer. Right. Um, so, you know, so there's that. Uh, so that that was, you know, again, this thing we've talked about of the show wanting to take on these different issues, but then not fully executing them and not really following through on them in as much as we would like. Um, I did really like some moments like when we get Rachel getting Darius to agree to go to Alabama 
which for me is a very distinct reference to season one, the end of season one, where she has that whole meltdown freak out and then immediately like shuts it down and it was all an act. And here it's not here. She can't do that. Um, so I really liked the counterpointing of those two moments in, in the, the series run, that bit of series history I thought was very yeah. powerful and effective. Um, I, again, we, you know, I think we get a, um, let's try to make Craig Bierko cuddly, and fuzzy this episode where it's like they hurt our girl they're going after our girl they're destroying our family like it's like okay i can believe you know him saying this but i cannot believe quinn not immediately smacking him down and kicking him out yeah like i can't believe her listening to this and like following like yes ending that sentence um so that is my problem with the stuff that they're doing they're well, trying to do with chet well they're i mean the, the thing with quinn and chet as like a unit not necessarily just chet as an individual is that quinn is still putting the show before rachel mm-hmm. and that's what quinn's always going to do regardless of how she may legitimately feel about rachel she feels about the show much more <laughs> yeah well i mean do you buy her interactions with chet in this episode No, but I also buy them, like, putting the show first, I buy, but... I buy that, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, it's just, as long as the show's in play, and Mm -hmm. Jeremy represents a problem for the show, then she's always going to side with whomever's with the show. And Mm -hmm. that was Chet in this case, because Coleman was very happy to throw the show over the boat... And yeah. get Jeremy sent to the police and everything. And also remember that Rachel went along with this, which shows how much she cares about the series as opposed to how much she cares about herself. And also how how much she wants to look good in the eyes of Mother Quinn. Well, but also how much she doesn't want to be implicated in a death. Yeah. You know, because there's that too. So I liked the specter of that hanging over this episode. Be like, remember last season when, you know, one of your producers caused a, a woman to go off her meds and then she killed herself and you're responsible for that? Yeah, we remember. <laughs> the show remembers and they're going to have Quinn and Rachel and Chet remember in this episode when it's convenient. So, um, you know, we'll see, you know, like. If I had trouble necessarily buying that in season one, certainly the show continuing after that point. But if you know they did, at least they're calling it back here. At least it's having lingering effects. So I appreciate that. I also liked how fully they went in on, like they went all in on. No, he really beat her up by showing the bruising yeah. and the pictures and all that. I really liked that they committed to that as well because that was a little unclear for me at the end of the previous episode, which was fair because it was really unclear. Because when she was going through and photographing things, I just went, "He did all of that." I didn't really get that from the previous episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, we'll see. Uh, I agree. Four episodes left. I don't know what they can do to, you know... They're, I, I just don't, I don't think they can bring it all into a pretty bow and, and like, have things retroactively work better. Yeah. But what they can do is have another four entertaining episodes. And I certainly am, am looking forward to, like... You just feel like poor Coleman. Like, he has no idea. But, like, dude, your new Jeremy is who you are. Um, so, cause the, just their interactions and this, like, we're going to get out of here and do real art for art's sake and everything. Like he's new Jeremy. Um, so I look forward to seeing how that is played out with 
Adam, especially because this relationship with Coleman feels very rushed and very forced in a way that it didn't, at least for me, with Adam in the previous season. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that's what they're going to be exploring. But Coleman really doesn't seem like he deserves what is headed his way. Um, as far as you poor know, guy has just... no idea what's happening. No, he has let no alone what's clue. coming. <laughs> like he intends well, and we're supposed to be on his side and with him. And I think we are. For, at least I know I am. So well, far. all the but... other characters are villains, and he's the least yeah. villainous of everyone. <laughs> but he's also one of the least interesting. Yeah as well so it's like i feel bad for him but i'm still not gonna watch the coleman show i'm gonna watch the rachel and quinn show right um so you know you feel bad for what's headed his way but you also are gonna sort of enjoy it when it happens (laughs) you know but anyways uh so yeah while i've got all these problems with the show right now and with the season two just as a whole i still always enjoy the episode i still look forward to sitting down with it so they have managed while um really i think creatively suffering in the second season to still have me engaged and excited for the show so hopefully they'll just run they'll finish out the season (laughs) they'll go into hiatus and they'll be like okay so here's what didn't work and they can fix it for season three that's my hope that that that's basically where i am is i hope you guys mm, realize things in between seasons and right the this, this gets corrected yeah well uh what wins your week in genre and drama what wins my week for genre and drama is very easily stranger things um most enjoyable uh really delightful thing i watched this uh this week and i strongly encourage everyone else to check it out uh what about you what won your week in genre and drama um, this one's a little tough for me because sure. I did really like Mr. Robot and the A-Word, but I think I just got to give it to Outlander because I'm not going to have the opportunity to throw any love to Outlander for quite a while. Um, and yeah, it wasn't probably like if, if I watched them back to back and you put a gun to my head, it probably wasn't the best one. I'm not going to put a gun to your week. head like Mr. Robot, Kate. Like I'm not Mr. Robot. <laughs> but, but just again, what it gets you to feel is, you know, that's so much of what I connect to. I connect to empathy. I connect to passion and I connect to um, characters that I care about um, in television. Those are the three things that I find myself just constantly coming back to. And Outlander has all of those. So um, Outlander finale, Dragonfly and Amber, it was a lovely last episode, or at least, except when it wasn't, you know, when it wasn't supposed to be, but it was, it was a good last episode. uh, And I'm certainly going to miss having it on my TV every week. So that's what wins my week in genre and drama. A few show notes here before we uh, go to our Comic-Con preview. You can find a post for this episode up at uh, televerse.org. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you thought about the week's TV. Let us know what you're looking forward to at Comic-Con. You can also uh, find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we would appreciate ratings and reviews there. They do help other people find the show. We also would appreciate ratings or reviews in Stitcher where you can find the podcast as well. You can like us on Facebook and start up a conversation there. And of course, we are both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? And I'm at Noel RK. Noel won't be at Comic-Con, of course, but I will be. So people, if you are going to be at Comic-Con, hit me up on Twitter. Um, Come to the Bioship Retention and Criterion cast meetup on Thursday. Last year, I got to hang out with Zandra and um, and your friend whose name, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, escapes me at the moment. But we hung out uh, briefly outside of the uh, the... The Hannibal Panable last last year, which was a lot of fun. Hannibal if there are any Panable. listeners, <laughs> yeah, if there are any listeners that are going to be at uh, Comic Con this year, hit me up. I would love to say hi uh, if we're in the same corner of the con. Um, 
hopefully we'll get a chance to meet a few of you guys. But now uh, we will take a break, listen to a little Steven Universe, and come back with our uh, Comic-Con 2016 TV preview. So we'll be right back after this. The sun is bright, our shirts are clean, we're sitting up above the sea. Come on and share this gem with me. Peach or plum or strawberry, any kind is fine. You see, come on and share this jam with me. I'll do my best to give this jam the sweetness it deserves. And I'll keep it fresh. I'm jamming on these tasty preserves. Ingredients in harmony, we mix together perfectly. Come on and share this jam with me. Woohoo! Jam Bud! We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, it is that time of year. Comic Con is here, and it's we're going to do our, our Comic Con TV preview. Uh, I'm very excited. You are negative interested in Comic Con, as I understand. Yeah, um, you'd have to pay me a lot of money to go to Comic-Con. And it's not it's nothing against Comic-Con as like a convention or anything. It's just, it's so many people, Kate. Just the idea of all those people. It's a lot it's of people. It's just too much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would end up just staying in the hotel room the entire time and just waving at you from the hotel room. I'd be like, hi, Kate. Hi, See, Kate's sister. You, you, hi. Say, you say that now. However, there's at least one panel that I know you want to be at, and we'll get there, listeners. Yeah, no, that, that, this is a totally fair statement, is that there is one panel that I would probably wade through everyone for, that you would not have to pay me to go to, but there's only one. <laughs> okay, okay, well, we're going to do what we've done here at the Televerse the last uh, several years and just kind of go through each day and talk about uh, briefly, just like list off the stuff that's happening for TV, and this isn't... TV adjacent. This isn't really going to be personality panels, um, with a couple exceptions. This is just the TV shows and the very distinctly TV related stuff that's happening. So, uh, Noel, why don't you kick things off? Uh, Wednesday is preview night, and there are only two things that happen on Wednesday. One's over at the library. I checked it out last year. It was very underwhelmed, so I won't be going back. That's about comics and teaching and education. And the other one is pilot screening. Um, so this year, Noel, what pilots are screening at Comic Con? Uh, well, they've got the pilot of Riverdale, which is the CW's uh, gritty <laughs> take on Archie Comics. I'm saying gritty with a question mark because it basically sounds like a Pretty Little Liars logline. Yeah. Um, they lost me at Archie having a relationship with his young music teacher. I was like, okay, out. I don't need to check it out. I'm still going to watch it because it airs on the network, but still, just right. one. <laughs> yes. Uh, they've also got Powerless, which is the first DC comedy series about uh, insurance adjusters covering damage done by superheroes, and that's got Vanessa Hudgens in it. Uh, there's People of Earth, which I hadn't heard of until we started talking about this, which is um, from Conan O'Brien and Greg Daniels and David Jenkins, uh, which is about people who, who, a support group for folks who have been abducted by aliens. And that one's starring uh, Wyatt Snack from The Daily Show. Yeah. So right. it, it sounds kind of like a combination of uh, it, it sounds very much like a community meets um, go on. Is it go on? Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go on. It sort of feels like that to me in the description. Yeah, I can see that. And yeah. I, I, I was one of the few people who actually kind of liked go on. Yeah, I did, too. Yeah, I was OK. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they have Frequency, which is the CW adaptation of that uh, early to mid-aughts Jim Caviezel movie with um, him talking to Dennis Quaid through the radio. Which I liked. Did you see that? I did. I liked it when I saw it, but my immediate question is then, how is this a television show that goes on for more than eight episodes? Details, Noel. Yeah. Details. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and what's left? Uh, then there's Time After Time, which is uh, based on a novel from the late 70s and a The film, right? Uh, Didn't movie. they make it into a movie? Yeah. Made it into a movie with uh, Christopher Reeve and, gosh, I want to say Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, that sounds I right, yeah. I think that's right. I want to say Mary Steenburgen. Yes. Yeah. Mary Steenburgen, I think is correct as well. I, I vaguely recall really liking the movie. I never read the novel, but time travel HG Wells goes to hunt down Jack the Ripper and all sorts of fun time travel stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Is the other premiere. Um, I forget. I don't even remember what channel that's on. I want to say that's going to be on the CW at mid season, but I could be wrong. Okay. These are all screened because they are produced by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, right. So, and then there's yeah. the Teen Titans Go Teen Titans Go premiere. So if you've been enjoying Teen Titans Go, there's more of it coming your way. There you are. Um, the only other thing I'll mention is um, Powerless also has Ellen Tudyk and Danny Pudi, along with Vanessa yeah. Hudgens. So just based on the cast, I'm more optimistic about that one. I think it's a solid premise if they stick with it. But um, Right. But yeah, uh, that, that's one that... You know, again, you can't tell based on casts because there's plenty of amazing casts that get completely uh, squandered um, yeah. in pilots. So uh, of these, anything strike your fancy? Uh, I'd probably go to see Powerless of all of them. But this is also because I can watch the Frequency pilot like right now if I felt like it. Well, there's that. That helps. Cause it's, yeah, it's on the CW's press side. I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. <laughs> um, I might do People of Earth as well, but it's. It's really this. It's really the two comedies I would go for. Um, yeah, no, Powerless. I really like the cast. I like the concept, and I'm vaguely interested in People of Earth now that I'm aware of its existence. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Is there something that's standing out to you from this apart from Powerless, which you just mentioned? Uh, People of Earth as well, just for Snack, and I mean, obviously Conan O'Brien. Like, like the the creators are. That's that's. A, a good group of people who they know comedy so hopefully that'll be good um and i mean i could see myself getting sucked into frequency or time after time if they're good um i don't have a fabulous track record of of liking the, the pilots at uh at ballroom 20 preview night these they're all in ballroom 20 which is the only room that's open on wednesday um and there's people i always see people in line for hours people there's no point to having a line there's no guests there's a b bunch of giant TVs in the room. Saunter in when the room opens at six and you will get a problem. You'll get a seat. No problem at all. Just like you don't need to wait in line. But um, I, I tend to not have a positive relationship with the most of the shows I've seen that have screened there. So I'm not very optimistic that is, this is, you know, we'll see what happens with it. Obviously, I'll keep it in mind. But um, yeah, I, I remember really not liking the Arrow pilot at Comic-Con surrounded by people who loved it. Uh, still don't like that pilot. Still don't think it's good. I also remember being incredibly underwhelmed by the 100 pilot at Comic-Con, surrounded by people who loved it. And again, I still think that is a very mediocre 
uh, pilot that grew into a much more interesting show before, you know. Collapsing into a really like, bad show. Like a flan in the cupboard, yes. <laughs> um, so there have been only just a couple of pilots. They were going to show iZombie there last year, but um, they had to do some retooling, so they ended up not showing it. Um, I, I struggle to think of a pilot I really liked that I saw at preview night, but it is sort of nice for those of us who don't have CW press access, which is me. Um, yeah, which is which is a fair number of people. Let's, which is, let's be clear. Yeah. yeah, most people. It is handy to get like if you're somebody like me who likes to watch all the new shows and give them at least one episode, um, all the network shows at least. Um, it's nice to just make premiere week eventually much easier for our, ourselves with the uh, preview night. But um, yeah, we'll see what, what I go do check out i'll probably go for those two comedies and then i'll probably just go walk the floor um, which is open on wednesdays as well and is much less crowded so that i don't just feel like i'm constantly being jostled to death in the throng of people on the floor uh yes you make this sound so appealing (laughs) well other people can handle it better but last year was the first time i didn't have a massive backpack with me Mm -hmm. and when you add me with a massive backpack you just have no control over which direction you're going in when you're being shoved when you're on the floor if you're just a person without a massive backpack it's much more manageable i found out last year i wasn't having like mini panic attacks i say that you know take that with a grain of salt i've never actually had a full panic attack so i don't feel like that's probably a good comparison to make because they're probably way worse than what i was experiencing at comic-con but it can be oppressive certainly so uh wednesday there's way fewer people so um because they sell a lot fewer tickets for wednesday so i will probably go check out the floor and get any purchasing or picture taking done wednesday night instead of seeing some of these interesting and not so looking pilots so that takes care of wednesday um, let's move on to Thursday. So I'll kick, I'll kick us off here, um, with Thursday. We're gonna, for each of these, we'll say the time, we'll say the, the, the title or the name of the panel. And if there's, you know, if we feel like it needs more information, we'll say that as well. Um, some of these, I have the day, the rooms for, not all of them. Uh, so Thursday kicks off at 10 a.m. with, uh, WC 3PR's third annual behind the music crime, death and resurrection panel in 25 ABC. This will have Jeff Russo, who does the music for Fargo and The Night Of, as well as other shows. So two that have very, you know, well, except for that one cue in The Night Of, but very good music for Fargo. Terrific music for Fargo. Uh, Matt Quayle of Mr. Robot, American Horror Story, and People vs. O.J. Simpson, among others. Tyler Bates from Guardians of the Galaxy, Salem, and Kingdom. Mike Subi from Vampire Diaries, Containment, and more. Bill Brown of Dominion and CSI New York. And Christopher Drake of Batman Dark Knight Rises. He's, he's more film. Uh, related than uh, than TV, um, but anyway, so I, this is one I've been to before, and I've been to the press room for the for this one before. These are at least the ones that people, the composers here I've talked to before, including um, Jeff Russo, memorably um, know their stuff, so it's uh, can be an interesting panel. Um, then we have at ten fifteen, T Titans Go in room sixty E. 10.30, relaunching the Battlestar franchise in 6 BCF with Richard Hatch. Um, this is a, He does a panel every year, Richard Hatch, about Battlestar. This year, it, it'll be talking about the upcoming um, relaunch. They're trying to do the film version. So, Battlestar fans, if you want to go hang out with Richard Hatch, 10.30 on Thursday. Then at 11, there's the fourth annual musical Anatomy of a Superhero in Indigo. Um, this is going to have uh, composers uh, Henry Jackson from Captain America's uh, Civil War, Junkie XL um, from Deadpool, Batman vs. Superman, John Ottoman of X-Men Apocalypse, Days of Future Past, and Blake Neely um, from Supergirl and The Flash and everything. Um, the one the one TV composer slumming it. Yeah, the one TV <laughs> having... composer. Yeah. 
Um, and we know how we feel about Blake Neely at this point. So right. um, yeah. I, I will not be checking that one out. There is another m- music panel that I am more interested in later in the day that we will mention when we get to it. But um, anyways, at 11, there's the, uh, at 11.15, we have Happy Happy Joy Joy, room 6A, uh, which has people from Hey Arnold, Invader Zim, Fairly Odd Parents, and Rugrats, and lots, uh, you know, lots of other people talking about um, just the, that's all Nick, right? Nickelodeon animation book? Yeah, that's all both classic and like post-classic, I guess you could say, with um, Fairly Odd Parents and, uh, Danny Phantom uh, Nickelodeon cartoons. Yeah, and I know they're going to have some some new material. There's a new short by I can't pronounce his name, Jonan Vesquez, Vesquez, who does who did uh, Invader Zim. So there's some interesting things there. Um, and then I'll just I'll take us out past noon, and then you can take over here, Noel. Uh, Justice League okay. action video presentation and Q and A. So this is for the in room 25 ABC for Justice League action, which is the 15 minute animated series that's coming with uh, Batman Superman Wonder Woman kind of switching off weeks then there's the pitching hour room 7ab about how to pitch tv shows um and also at noon as in room uh, ballroom 20 um there's the T- cbs television studio block with scorpion american gothic and macgyver and they're also going to have a fan favorite section so different uh, actors probably actors but also creators creatives or writers might be there too um from some of the the biggest cbs shows will be hanging out for that ridiculous block of time on uh, on thursday right Okay. So we're halfway through. We're halfway through, or I said not halfway. We're a third of the way through Thursday. Anything of interest so far? Um, I'd maybe go to the. What would I go to? I'd probably go to the Happy Happy Joy Joy just for um to listen to those folks talk, mm-hmm. and I'd probably go to the Justice League action presentation. Um, since I'm like vaguely curious and how that's gonna go. Uh, but that's about it. Um, I can't think of fan favorites for a CBS television studio. Um, well, that'd be people like Polly Perrette from CSI, um, or, or some of their smaller, ner- ner- more nerd shows. Like if they had like a Lucy Liu around or a, um, um, Johnny Lee Miller, like there are people like that who, I don't, okay. I don't know if they'll be at Comic-Con, but they'll try to, they'll try to overlap people who are already going to be at Comic-Con, but it, and the, the blurb said something about how it was, um, CBS favorites old and new. So okay. it'll be some, oh, some so new hearts going to be there. Well then I'm there. <laughs> Cause new hearts a very loyal CBS guy. He keeps showing up on their shows. He does keep showing up on their shows. That's true. I, and I would just be very excited to see him. At, at comic-con at comic-con right that would just um, be delightful well what about you what are you going to check out since you're actually going to be here really thursday morning is kind of a lull for me um okay if i'm honest uh i might do um see about doing the press room for some of the composing things and talk to the composers you know how i love to do that yes. um and now that i know who's going to be there i can be more prepared than when uh the year that i interviewed jeff russo and went oh i didn't know you'd be there a person who wrote all this amazing music for fargo none of which i know the specifics of <laughs> this year i and so i just felt it was bad i was i did i felt i'm sure nobody else cared or noticed but i felt horribly unprepared so maybe that's what i'll be looking at for thursday morning there's the thursday things i'm excited about are all within about a half hour to a one hour block at the same time in like five different rooms isn't that how that always works that's how it always works on thursday at comic-con not on okay. other days but for, on thursday for whatever reason uh, but let's keep going uh we're at 130 noel 
Right. So at one thirty, we have the first of many, 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 many. I'm. Is this a big thing? Like there are a ton of Star Trek panels. It's the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. And the movie's so, coming out that week. It's premiering at Comic Con. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's the Star Trek fiftieth year fiftieth year celebration with Roddenberry Entertainment, and that's at Room Twenty Four ABC. Uh, I yep. don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. Um at 145, uh, USA premieres its Falling Water screening in room 6A, which is their new drama about people controlling dreams. And it sounds interesting. I may also just watch The Cell hmm. instead. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, at 2 p.m. in room 7AB, Thunderbirds Are Go, which is uh, Amazon's re- reinvention of that 1960s uh, puppet animated classic. Uh, it has a first look at season two there. Uh, and then uh, also at 2 p.m. in room 5AB, you've got Transformers animation then and now. So a look back and a look forward, which sounds kind of exciting for those of you who are big into the Transformers animation scene. Uh, and then at three, more animation in room 7AB. So if you were in Thunderbirds, just I would stick around for uh, Voltron Legendary Defender. Uh, which uh, is on Netflix. Uh, it's really good uh, animated series. It's pretty solid. At uh, 3 p.m., you get the world premiere of The Good Place, which is NBC's comedy with Kristen Bell and Ted Danson uh, from Michael Schur and Drew Goodard uh, that deals with a woman who enters the afterlife um, after she realizes she hasn't been a terrifically nice person. And Ted Danson's her mentor on the other side of the veil, as it were. Uh, at 3 p.m., you get the last ship panel, uh, which is TNT's uh, show in room 6A. I don't even think they're on the ship anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they got off the ship uh, okay. this season. It's still uh, the last ship there. There are no more ships. They're just not on it. Yeah. Uh, okay. There are still no more ships. They're, they're <laughs> the only ship left. No. Um, 3.15 in Ballroom 20 is the Strain screening Q&A. So if you're still chugging along on the Strain, uh, that'll probably be of interest. At 4 p.m., you've got the Silicon Valley uh, panel and Q&A in the Indigo Ballroom, uh, which for those of you watching Silicon Valley, exciting. Uh, Viz has their uh, panel at 4 p.m. in room 7AB. So, yeah, all the animation stuff's in 7AB, it looks like. Uh, so Viz will probably be trotting out some new um, anime licensing or just hyping folks up for that. At 4.15, there's the man in High Castle in room 6A, which I have not been keeping up with. I s- still haven't watched season one. Yeah. Is c- has season two even, like, dropped yet? I want to say yes. Yeah. I, I don't, have no idea. I don't no know. No one's talking yeah. about this show anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Ballroom 20, uh, you've got uh, Teen Wolf at 4.30, uh, which uh, my, I don't even know how people are responding to Teen Wolf anymore. Oh, the woo is strong at the okay. Teen Wolf panel. And it's a, it's a fun panel to be at, even if you don't watch the show or don't. Just because the people who love that show love that show which, right and the and the the audience at least the last time i was at a teen wolf panel the, the, i should say the panelists uh are really game and a lot of fun so that is all you need which is part of why i went to so many true blood panels over the years <laughs> just because again the audience was great and the panelists were a lot of fun so that's all i need apparently <laughs> oh well that's good uh and then also at 4 30 in room 24 abc you've got cartoon creatives women in power in women power and animation 
Uh, this sounds pretty solid to me. Uh, you've got Lauren Faust, who did uh, My Little Pony. Uh, you've got Brooke Kiesling, who's the director of animation talent development at Disney TV Animation. You've got Lauren Montgomery, who's a uh, co-executive producer in Voltron. And she's also worked on a number of DC products as well. You've got Stevie Worm, Wormier Skeleton, who's the co-director of the upcoming Frozen holiday special. Uh, Gina Shea, who's the co-producer of the upcoming Trolls. Uh, Katie Krintz, who's the senior director of development at Cartoon Network and worked on Steven Universe. You've got Darren Nefsky, Nefsi. Uh, who's the creator and executive producer of Star vs. the Forces of Evil, which is a show I've always meant to check out and have not. It's on Disney XD. And then you've got Marge Dean, who's the co-president of Women Animation, and they're all talking about experiences, upcoming projects, and that sounds really cool to me. Yeah, absolutely. That could be a lot of fun. Um, at 445, USA has the Colony panel. Um, that's six in room 6 BCF. Um, at five, we have Ben Helsing in the sci-fi show in Indigo Ballroom. Five thirty, um, Nerds TV is putting out a panel of the Boundary Pushers in Room Six A. I mentioned this because Brian Fuller and Michael Green from American Gods are going to be there as well as Stephen Moffat. So those are people TV fans will be interested in. Um, at five forty-five, we have Luke Cage um, in Ballroom Twenty, and I'm going to pause here to reflect in the last three hours, obviously you're interested in women, uh, women power and animation. Any other panel stand out for you? Uh, I'd probably go to the Voltron one. Cause I really like the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've watched all of it. And it's all quite solid. Uh, but I think it's only those two so far. Um, well, apart from the Luke Cage one, but um, I'm not sure if I'd be able to make my way through ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'd definitely go for the Luke Cage one as well. Uh, what about you? What, what is, what gets grabs you uh silicon valley that panel will be hilarious those are very <laughs> funny people and like the whole cast is gonna be there so i would just go see it if it was just martin Starr or camille nanjiani or zach woods uh and they will all be there along with the entire rest of the main cast so yeah that should be fun um and uh i mean i'm gonna you you put Brian Fuller in a room, I will probably want to to hear what he has to say. So, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to make it to that one because of reasons that will soon become clear, but that's one that I would certainly be interested in as well as as Luke Cage. Um, So to round out Thursday here, we've got at 6, bringing primetime to comic shops, all about comics from television. That's room 29AB. Inside the Voice Actors Studio, also at 6 in room 30 CDE, Voice Actors Always give good panel at Comic-Con. Then at 6 as well, we have Mr. Robot um, in 6 BCF. Um, We have Drunk History and Legends of Chamberlain Heights in the Indigo Ballroom, also at 6 p.m. So at this, the 5.30 to 6 span here are four panels I would enjoy. (laughs) So thanks for that, Comic-Con. Then at 7, we have Dark Matter Season 2. At 8, Psychology of Cult TV Shows, Episode 3, Room 25, uh, ABC, which I always would like to go to, but I can't for reasons. Then at 8 as well, Star Trek, How We Got to 50, the second Star Trek uh, panel of uh, the con so far, the, at least the second specifically TV one. Um, that's Room 29AB. And at 8.30, Cartoon Network's Costume Ball and Screening in Room 7AB. Now, the reason I can't go to the Psychology of Cult TV shows is because if I'm going to go to something, it's the Cartoon Network Costume Ball because my sister will be cosplaying as... Comic, as um, Steven Universe people this year. 
Yay! But I probably won't be able to go to that either since they bumped Boom. it back from 7.30 to 8 because at 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock at the bootlegger over in the gas lamp is the Battleship Pretension Warner Archive and Criterion Cast meetup that I go to every year and hang out with those lovely people that I only talk to online but would much rather interact with in person. So as much as I would enjoy... Um, some of these other panels, I will choose hanging out with my internet friends in real life over that. Um, though it, it, it does stink to miss, uh, cause Re- Rebecca Sugar's going to be at the Cartoon Network Costume Ball, but they, that mostly has, I was underwhelmed last year. It was a lot of promos for new shows and just really, they, they chose by far the least deserving of the five people who are up there for costume contests. And my sister was not one of them. So I am unbiased in this, Uh, but I was (laughs) underwhelmed by the costume uh, awarding last year. Well, I would go to support your sister. So you can tell her that. Okay. I will pass along. I would go to support her. (laughs) Well, let's take it over to Friday. Um, So Friday at 10 AM, you've got the big bang theory writers room uh, with the big bang uh, writers for a panel that's pretty early in the morning for them yeah that's uh, in ballroom 20 they do that every year okay yeah uh 10 15 a.m you've got the steven universe panel and this is noticeable because it will be a live musical experience uh with the cast and the musical minds uh doing a never before seen performance of the show's music yeah jealous yeah. of that I will be in line <laughs> so early. Like, I'm already in line for that one, yeah. basically. I mean, you might as well just go from the pretension meetup yeah. to waiting in line for basically. that. Basically, yeah. The I last, think that's how it's going to have to go. The last two years, I've missed the Steven Universe panel and hoped to get in for the Adventure Time panel that is usually right after it uh, because I have not gotten in line early enough. And so yeah. this year, that will not be happening. We are determined to be there for the in person performance of Estelle and Michaela Dietz and Dee Dee uh, Magno Hall and Charlene Yee and I mean like I'm just so excited Anyways. everyone basically <laughs> yeah please continue uh, at 10.30am you've got My Little Pony mm-hmm. uh, Friendship is Magic uh, 11.15 you've got the Bones panel uh, so like your last chance for Bones I think to be at Comic Con uh, 12 noon you've got both uh, Fear the Walking Dead and then you've got Star versus the Forces of Evil. At 12.15, you've got Robot Chicken. Uh, 1 p.m., then uh, you have the Walking Dead itself panel. I, I also enjoy how you just skipped right past, in your notes, the 100, which is at 12.30. Was it? Uh, yeah, I didn't even in Ballroom see it. 20. I just assumed you're like, and we're just not talking about that. <laughs> no, I just didn't see it because I was really tired when I made this list because I just got done with work. Would you <laughs> Would you want to go to that or would you rather skip it? skip like, the hundred panel yeah oh no i would i would go to that just to watch what would happen okay yeah i, okay. I would just to see what would happen i would go to that fair enough if i were there i would mm-hmm. i would go to see what would happen uh, i'm also going to mention at one another panel that's not really tv but um it's called i love that song composing scoring and singing superhero style in room 28 de and this is, has composers um michael Mc- Christian, I probably killed that uh, pronunciation. Lolita Redmanis um, uh, of Spectacular Spider-Man, Christopher Carter of Batman Beyond, and James Tucker, Batman Brave and the Bold. Michael McQuiston did Justice League Unlimited, um, the composers for those shows. And I specifically mention it because, to my knowledge, this is the first time anyone has brought a female composer to Comic-Con. You may recall that 
in the description for the previous day for Thursday, there were a panel that it was the third year and a panel where it was the fourth year of doing them every single year with like a, at least five composers. To my knowledge, they have never brought a female composer. Uh, and they're out there, guys. They do exist. Um, so I, I just am glad that finally there's someone. Um, and, uh, you know, at least based on my memories of Spectacular Spider-Man, quite a talented composer. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's exciting. Yes. It is for me, at least. Uh, no, it should, should be exciting for everyone. Yeah. Please continue, sir. Uh, at 1 p.m., 1.15 p.m., there's a screening or panel for the new Adult Swim animated sketch. So Brad Neely's hard nailing Scipio PPO? Scipio PPO? Yeah, I'm sure. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so out of touch and not cool uh, with Adult Swim, so I can't help you there. Um, mm. But also with Adult Swim at 2.15 p.m., you've got Rick and Morty panel, which will be exciting. Um, at Also 2.15, you have, as I put in the notes, Dead of Summer, <laughs> but that's uh, Freeform's Dead of Summer, their um, 1980s uh, Cabin in the Woods type of slasher that I only watched one episode of and it wasn't very good. Um, also at 2.15, uh, there's the Game of Thrones, Thrones panel, so I imagine that's where most people <laughs> will end up being. If they're not at Rick and Morty, they'll be at Game of Thrones. Uh, 3 p.m. has the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel, and I was kind of surprised that there was an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel. Oh, yeah. Um, just, well, mostly because Disney had more or less vacated Comic-Con, so I was surprised whenever I saw anything ancillary to Disney at Comic-Con. There's a bunch of Disney XD, too. So, like, Pen yeah. Zero, Part-Time Hero in the 70s, having a panel um, at 2.15. There's, um, oh, there was another one. What was it? Um, uh, I'm, I, uh, the... Well, you already mentioned Star versus Forces of Evil for yeah. Disney XD. Yeah, the, there's a lot of um, XD yeah. coverage. Like, there's a bunch of um, stuff for like Avatar, even though it's been off the air for a few years. And yeah, there's a lot of really great uh, animation, especially children's animation programming at Comic Con. And speaking of great children's animation, three fifteen p.m. Uh, Samurai Jack, which actually isn't going to be children's animation for its upcoming season based on how they've been teasing it. So I imagine hopefully there'll be some new artwork, if not some clips, because they already teased some stuff in June. And then 315, and this is where I imagine Kate will be, is the American Gods panel. I'm so excited. Yeah, I figured. Uh, so that'll be at 315. Uh, then at 330, there's the Bates Motel panel. Um, at 4 p.m., there's the Bob's Burgers panel. Uh, at 415, there's a DC page to screen panel, which uh, I imagine will be about adapting uh, DC properties uh, to both the big screen and the screen in your television rooms. Uh, then at 4.30, there's the Orphan Black panel. Uh, 4.45 has the Salem panel. 5 p.m. has the Archer screening with a Q&A. Um, I can't imagine that they have anything to screen but episodes from the previous season yet. You might be surprised. Um, yeah. They have previously screened episodes about six months before the premiere. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, if, and if they don't have a new episode, then they'll have like a gag reel or something. Which are always really solid. Like, I've watched yeah. those on YouTube. Those are always really funny. And the panelists, at the, the Archer panel is always great. Like, it, Thursday in Indigo is just, that's a solid day of alt comedy. Like, just all day long. It's all the, uh, it's all the um, Adult Swim stuff. And then you get, um, uh, you get... Archer, you get Bob's Burgers, you get all so like you know Indigo Ballroom is a, a solid place to be on 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 Fridays, I should say, not Thursday, and Friday at uh, Comic Con. And then also at five PM, you've got the South Park season twenty. Uh, so maybe the guys have made their Pokemon Go episode already. 
um, for everyone to watch. Uh, at 5 p.m., you have a panel called Inside the Writer's Room, which is writing and producing for Star Trek uh, this year. So uh, behind the scenes look at what the process is for making a Star Trek episode. Um, and then at 5.30, there's the iZombie video presentation and Q&A, which is uh, something I would probably go to. Uh, at 6 p.m., the forthcoming Exorcist television show um, has a panel, and I imagine they'll probably screen some stuff. At 6.30 p.m., we've got three panels of interest, potentially. The She Made That, which is a Nickelodeon women in animation panel, uh, followed up by Preacher, and then Scream Queens uh, wraps up at least what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> the only other ones I'll mention is uh, 545. We have Vikings, and that's in 6BCF. 6BCF is going to be crazy on, on Friday because I want to go to American Gods, but American Gods is immediately before Orphan Black, which is always filled to the gills. As in, I, I made it in for the first year of for the Orphan Black panel, when it, it was just after season one, and sure. I, was in, I was in line for like two hours to before I got in. And I was then in the room at least a panel or two early. Um, so if you're not in line for several hours, you're not going to get in. Because people, the Orphan Black fans want to be in the Orphan Black panel so much that they will sit through everything before then to make sure that they get a seat. Right. Um, so the overlap between American Gods fans and Orphan Black fans, I anticipate will be huge. So if I want to go... Sense. To orphan, if I want to go to to American Gods, I don't got to be in line for like pretty much after Steven Universe and and you know whatever other stuff like Adventure Time, whatever things we have in the morning. It'll be like go straight to six BCF and try to get in for American Gods. And then if I don't know, I'll have to talk to my sister see if we're gonna stay through Orphan Black. But then it would be um, American Gods, Orphan Black, History, and the 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 Vi or sorry Vikings I should say from on History, but uh, the Vikings has brought some really great stuff. Like last year they had like a Viking ship, <laughs> just like on a lawn at Comic-Con. That was cool. really cool. Yeah, and they do they always have really sweet posters like on the entire side of a of a building or something. Um so the even though I don't watch Vikings, I feel like that would be a fun one to be in for. Uh do any of these strike your fancy? Uh, that we well, haven't already mentioned. Right, apart from the Steven Universe panel, um I'd probably I'd probably let you fill me in later on American Gods cuz I'd probably go to the Samurai Jack panel mm -hmm. just to see if they have anything new there. Um, but then after that, I'd maybe make my way to the iZombie panel. Right. Uh, maybe, just to see how it is. Um, but uh, then I'd probably just go get food. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Oh, I should also mention, we did uh, forget one other one. At 2 p.m., People of Earth and Powerless are sharing an hour. So those two pilots that we talked about from Wednesday will be sharing a panel in 6 PCF. Okay. So that might be another interesting one, depending on what we thought of you know, of the pilot there. But yeah. yeah, yeah, the notion of building in time to go eat, that's a wise one. You, I know you don't do the con, but if you did, uh, good move there, Noel. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Next up is Saturday, and um, starting at 10 a.m. in, I'm assuming this is Ballroom 20, which is where it's been the last several years, uh, Once Upon a Time, followed by, at 11, Vampire Diaries. Also at 11, um, it, elsewhere in the convention center, we have Dressing the Characters, the Designers Behind the Costumes. I went to this panel last year, and it was interesting, but not as well moderated as it should have been. But uh, they're going to have the, the costumers, amongst other things, uh, Terry... Last name starts with a D, whose name is not in front of me. Um, from Outlander, they're gonna have the costumer from um, 
uh, Agent Carter and some other ones. So that should be that should be interesting. At 11.15 a.m., we have Back to the 90s, Nickelodeon's All That Reunion and Legends of the Hidden Temple. I did not have cable in the 90s, so I have don't have a connection with these ones but i know a lot of a lot of uh people do uh, certainly in our in our age range noel then at noon we have three shows here we've got the simpsons uh the blind spot and uh, production designers and art directors guild um uh presentation that one's similar to the the costumer panel this is talking uh with set designers and everything and that, that's i went to that one last year as well and that was also actually really cool um, we didn't mention it, but I think on Thursday or Friday, there's something about location scouting as well that people might be interested in that they can check out. 1230, we have Marvel Animation talking about the various animated series that they have going on, which is quite a number of them. There's like yeah. Guardians. What else is there? Uh, there's Guardian. There's the Spider-Man series. There's uh, the Avengers series. Um, there's the Hulk Agents of Smash, I think, is still going. So mm-hmm. there's four at least. And I think almost all, all of those are on Disney XD. Yeah. Um, then we have at 12.50, the Mar- uh, the Originals video and Q&A, a video presentation and Q&A. At 1 o'clock, Family Guy at 1.30, Lucifer at 1.30 as well. Inside the writer's room, the pilot part one, so how to write a pilot, how to, and then they have part two, which I believe is produ- production. Um, but this is part one about writing. 1.45, immediately following Family Guy is American Dad. Uh, also 1.45 is Zag's Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. That's in 6DE. Um, and at 2 p.m. we have Star Trek in Hall H, which is again once <laughs> this this one's gonna have uh, Shatner, uh, Scott Bakula, Michael Dorn, Jerry Ryan, Brent Spiner, um, moderated by Brian Fuller. Which you know if they're gonna have an announcement about uh, casting, for example, for the new Brian Fuller show, I would imagine it will be at this panel because uh, nothing has been announced so far. So, um, anyways, that's gonna be in Hall H. I imagine will be rather crazy to get into. At 2.10 p.m., we have Gotham and 2.30, Grimm, back for season six. 2.30 as well, Winona Earp and Vice Principals in separate rooms for those, though I imagine that would be an interesting crossover. (laughs) 3 p.m. has The Expanse. 3.30 has Supergirl, which I would love to go see, but I don't know if I'll be able to get into the room by the time that is happening. I want to say that's in Ballroom 20, but I could be wrong about that. 3.30 also has Bear McCreary creating musical worlds. 4 p.m. Dirk Gently's uh, Holistic Detective Agency, which is a show that's aired on in the UK. Yes. Uh, I don't know. It's on BBC. It'll be on BBC America. So I think it's the one that's aired in the UK and not a an American remake or anything. But I'm not 100 percent on that one. Um, I've, that's one, that one's been kicking around for a while. Uh, also at 4 p.m. The Magicians. 4:15 Legends of Tomorrow, as well as in a separate room, the Timeless Pilot Screening and Q and A. Uh, at 4.30, they'll have the Entertainment we- Weekly's Women Who Kick Ass and Hall H with Marina Baccarin, uh, Melissa Benoist, Lucy Lawless, Tatiana Maslany, and Connie Nielsen. Those are some ladies that uh, I think we would agree kick ass. Uh, I always want to go to that panel, Noel, but again, it's in Hall H, uh, so I can't ever get in. I always want to just like trade passes with one of the bros who's in there who doesn't want to have to do- listen to feminism. And like, <laughs> you just give, like, you go out for a bathroom break, give me your pass. I'll go listen to these ladies be awesome, and then I can let you back in so you can watch your movie panel that you care about after it. Um, anyways, 5 o'clock is The Flash. Uh, five, also at 5 p.m. in Indigo, we have Son of Zorn, which is a hybrid of animated and live action that's coming um, in the fall. Then at 5.15, Outcast. 5.45, Arrow. 6 p.m., Last Man on Earth. 
645 Riverdale uh, pilot screening and Q&A. If you don't have the Wednesday uh, uh, preview night pass, you can watch Riverdale on Saturday. Um, oh, also almost forgot uh, 630 inside of the writer's room pre, uh, pro, uh, pre-production and post. Oh, my part two. So this is the part two to, to go with part one earlier in the day. There's Ash vs. the Evil Dead at 6.45. Um, at 7 p.m., Sci-Fi's Incorporated screening. Also at 7, Psychology of the Marvel TV Universe. Again, one of those psychology uh, panels that are usually interesting. Uh, they get different types of experts up there. Um, 7 p.m. as well, Designated Survivor screener, which is one of the new pilots for the fall. We have at 7.25, Frequency. Again, if you missed the the Wednesday night preview screening. At 8.20, Time After Time's pilot. Again, if you missed the, the, the Wednesday night preview screening. 8.30 has MST3K, Mr. Science Theater 3000 is back. And then at 10 p.m. in Room 60E, they're going to have the season two premiere screening of Ash versus the Evil Dead. So a lot of TV on, on Saturday, but maybe not quite as much as in, in some previous years. It's a bit more manageable this year, I would say. Well, that's um, good. Any, anything <laughs> stick out to you here, Noel? Um... First, I was just shocked that there was going to be a Legends of the Hidden Temple movie. <laughs> uh, I just went, right, because that is a thing. Um, For the most part, I mean, I probably would sit through the entirety of that CW, like, marathon, which is, I'm assuming that that's all in the same room, like, back to back to back to back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably all I would go for that was on this week, of on that day. Um... Yeah, I think that's all I would do. Fair enough. After Arrow, maybe I'd go run to see what psychologists have to say about the Marvel TV universe. And then, uh, but I would probably just go get dinner. (laughs) Fair fair enough, fair enough. What about you? Um, uh, for me, the um, you know, I, I've been talking about since the Chicago uh, um, convention, I think it was Wizard World last year, where there was the Supergirl panel that was delightful, um, and apparently the, the panelists were wonderful for there, the, the actors, um, specifically uh, Melissa Benoist and Kyler Lee, and any chance I'm going to have to see adorable little uh, y- young women and girls in Supergirl costumes talking about empowerment, yay, I'm so there for that. Uh, so that's certainly one that comes to mind. Uh, I, I also really, in, like I said, I enjoyed the costuming and production design once I, I saw last year, learned a little bit there. But one uh, that I'm certainly looking forward to, and I want to say this is on Saturday, it's not in front of me, um, but I think it is again, that I that I ended up in randomly last year was um, a panel for Congressman jo- uh, John Lewis has a comic book about his yeah. experiences in the civil rights era. Um yeah. In, in, in you know the march on Selma, march to Selma, um, and uh, a bunch of other. So he's going to be back. He was here last year. He's going to be back this year, and with the the third uh, book in his series, which is the the final one. So I'm going to go see that because well, I would it was too. That's super cool. John Lewis is great. Yeah. So there's that. There's also this is either on I think it's on Saturday. It might be on Friday. Uh, a, a panel for a book. God is disappointed in you. Um, I went to that last year and it was delightful. This is a uh, like just like boiling down the Bible to its basic principles um, as told by biblical scholars. <laughs> uh, and this is going to be uh, part two, the apocrypha. So that was a delightful panel last year. I can only imagine how much fun it will be when you have the Apocrypha to start off with. 
which is even more entertaining than some of the more ridiculous um, stories and parables and more morality plays in the Bible. So that's certainly what I will be looking out for as well. And again, that, I think that's on Saturday. It might be on Friday. But those are the ones that kind of stick out to me. I, I know a lot of people really enjoy the pilot screenings at Comic-Con, but for me... I can watch those pilots anywhere. I don't need to be in a room surrounded by people, many of whom don't necessarily have the same taste in television that I do. So I would rather watch those pilots since a lot of pilots just, as we know, Noel, just aren't very good. Pilots are hard. Yeah. Um, it can get frustrating when you're surround when you're watching a really grown worthy scene, but you're surrounded by, you know, if you happen to be surrounded by people who are just like, totally there for it and it's great that they're excited and they're they're happy and that they're enjoying it that's wonderful it just can be challenging when you're like oh come on this writing is terrible and they're like yeah that was really great i really love that moment when you know i don't know fill in the blank with you know pilot cliche of your type when the really famous guy got killed that was really awesome because um, we know that they're not going to be in the series uh they're just you know it's it's not my preferred way to spend Comic-Con. Right. So I tend to go for the more obscure panels. Okay. Yeah. I, th I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's go on then to our last day of the con, which is Sunday. And sure. uh, Noel, take, uh, the, in, Ballroom 20 doesn't run on Sundays. Uh, so, so these are all in either Hall H <laughs> or they're really not. Uh, the first one you're going to mention, for example, is in the Marriott Marquis. It's in a different hotel. Oh, well, um, there you go. No, I just picked yeah. it because I thought it had Duff Goldman and Fan yeah. Foods with uh, Food Network's uh, Duff Goldman, who's great. Um, so he's talking uh, about fu future fandom and foodies with um, Jessica Sang. I'm probably mispronouncing that. I apologize. Who does uh, Fangirl Foods and Girl and Geek. Um, and then that's at uh, 10 a.m. And then let's see. Then you've got in Hall H, naturally, um, Sherlock. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, based on the panel, um, kind of a you get Gaddis and you get Moffat. And, that's, but it. that's it. That's uh, it. The woman who plays Mary. And that's it, because the other two guys are kind of busy. <laughs> Too busy to come to San Diego, apparently. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, there was the sadly canceled Gravity Falls panel. <laughs> uh, that was also 10 a.m., but they got rid of that. Um, also 10 a.m., there's uh, DC Superhero Girls, Hero of the Year. Um, these were a series of uh, shorts um, that were good, um, but there's a big, um, but I never fully got into them because they're only like two minutes long. Um, and then they're all like serialized. So it was kind of rough going to watch, but the animation's really cool. And some of the overall ideas were really cool. So there's a panel on that at 10 AM in six BCF. Um, and then we've got, uh, the supernatural panel is at 1115. And that's going to be in, I'm assuming, H. Yeah, that's in all H. Yeah, I would just assume. I didn't write that down. Yeah, the the, the line doesn't move Sunday after, because, like, everybody, like, the Supernatural fangirls are all there for Sherlock. And the Sherlock um, fan, fangirls and boys, I should say, and boys, yeah. uh, f 
tend to stay for Supernatural as well, which is, it's a fun panel. I've yeah. been in it before. But, like, if you're outside trying to get in, that line, like, a couple years ago, I was in line for literally six hours, including two hours where I was two people away from getting in, and just nobody left. So, oh. Sherlock to Supernatural to Prison Break in 24, like, it's just, and it just keeps going from there. There's, no one's gonna leave. They're just gonna be back to back to back in Hall Age. Well, then you should probably maybe go check out uh, Cartoon Voices 2, uh, mm-hmm. which has another panel with a number of uh, really great folks, including uh, D. Bradley Baker. That's going to be at 1130 in room 6A. Um, if you like the Avatar comic books tie-in, uh, uh, Jean Yang is going to be doing a panel on the comic books at 12 for Last Airbender, and that's in room 24 ABC. And then there's... Uh, Kate, you mentioned the Prison Break and 24 Block. They're just doing those back-to-back at uh, 12.30. And then at 1 p.m., there's this interesting sounding uh, thing, and you can tell me what this, uh, how this reads to you, is that there's a unauthorized discussion of, like, the um, oral history, uh, the complete uncensored and unauthorized oral history of Star Trek. Um, with Access Hollywood, Scott Manitz, and uh, Mark A. Altman and Edward Gross. Uh, it's a two-volume book that's coming up from St. Martin's Press that they worked on, and they're going to be talking about that. It's interesting. I have, I, have, I have a difficult time imagining there being more Star Trek stories that people don't already know. Right, yeah. But hey, if they have them, then that could be fun. Right, and one thing I missed at the 1 p.m. thing, and this is probably what I would go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in room 6A. Um, Viz is releasing all 200 episodes of Sailor Moon on Blu-ray with a new cut and an uncensored English dub, uh, which is terrific. Uh, really exciting, uh, since uh, those classic Sailor Moon episodes have been, until they got put up on Hulu, were actually really hard to come by. Uh, so there's going to be an animation, the Viz animation team is going to discuss uh, getting that series out. And they're going to talk a little bit about Sailor Moon Crystal, which is the revamped series uh, that's been running for a year and a half now, I want to say. I stopped watching it after a little while because uh, it was just fine. Um, then at 2 p.m., there's Anything Goes with John Barrowman, which based on the description is John Barrowman will just do whatever you tell him to do. <laughs> yeah, it's is... a personality panel that apparently is fun. He's quite a showman. I've never right. been to it, though. Okay. And maybe he'll talk about his new contract of being a regular on all the DC shows. Ugh, and No. No. no <laughs> where he'll just he'll deliver exposition on all the DCW DC shows, because that's apparently all Malcolm Merlin is good for. I want to like John Barrowman so much, but I hate Merlin at this point. He serves no purpose but making characters I like insufferable. Right. And that's that's basically what that is. Yeah. Um, but we can wash it out at 3 p.m. in room 60E. You can go to Anim- Animaniacs Live. I'm so there. I figured I'm, as much because I'm you're going to have Rob Paulson, you're going to have Tress McNeil, and you're going to have Jess Harnell along with uh, the series songwriter Randy Rogel uh, for performing songs from the show. Uh, mm. So that, that'll that be something to go to. 
Absolutely. There's also some Lego Ninjago and right. uh, Nexo Knights on Sunday, but on the whole, it's, yeah, the main thing I'm looking forward to. Uh, there'll be some other things I check out, I'm sure, but the, the main thing I'm looking forward to is that Animaniacs Live, because that should be a lot of fun and a really nice way to end the con, you know? Yeah, that sounds like a really, that does sound like a really good way to end that. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Any of this uh, strike your fancy besides the Viz animation, which you already talked about? Right. No, I think I'd go to the Sailor Moon one and then I would just go back and check out from the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, yeah, I think that's what I would do is go to the Viz thing uh, with Sailor Moon and then check out from the hotel. I'm I'm seriously concerned if I'm going to buy that 200 episode. (laughs) Oh, Blu-ray, Kate. Uh, in which case, I will, so long as we can get someone to come on and talk about Sailor Moon with us. There we go. That's, that's We're sending we that should. out there, listeners. <laughs> if you are a critic or a podcaster about TV and uh, you, or other things, and you want to come talk to us about Sailor Moon, let us know. The or tellers. any other anime, so I can make Kate watch more anime. Tellers at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm sorely lacking in in knowledge on on anime. It's like Fist of the North Star and Zapeba, and like that's it. That's that's the extent. And obviously Cowboy Bebop and the other ones we've already done on the DVD shelf. But uh, yeah, it's not very many. Um, Well, that wraps up our Comic Con preview, and I'll be checking in with updates from Comic Con. Um, At least that's currently the plan. Uh, as the con continues, or at the very least, I'll have sort of a rundown of of what uh, what went down and and what was what were the highlights and lowlights of the con uh, as we move forward. But uh, thank you, Noel, for looking all through all of this with me, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>